What is going on, everyone? Welcome into a new episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host coming to you on a beautiful Sunday morning here from Oakland, California. And as always, I am joined by my friend and co-host, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, how are you feeling after a long day of college football yesterday? I'm all right. I think it was, I think it might have been the worst day of college football to this point this season. It was really boring for a good chunk of it. And I, I don't like to say that like about a football Saturday in general, because we only get so many of them in a season. And I try to enjoy them as much as I can, because I know that I'll really miss weeks, even weeks like this in the middle of June. But it was a bad week. Like I, I, I watched it for I, I think I watched just about every major game yesterday down to like I watched until the end of the primetime games and didn't bother to stay up for the late night games because they were really bad. And there was really only like Bedlam was pretty fun. Um, Texas, Texas Tech got a little weird at the end. There was a there was a late touchdown in that game. But in general, it just wasn't very good. It was it was a bunch of games that were either blowouts or just not all that interesting. I had a good time watching Cincinnati play because Cincinnati is kind of what Ohio State used to look like on the field in terms of the way that they play, not in terms of talent or anything. But they're a lot of fun to watch, and that was, I think, probably the most fun I had watching a game yesterday. But in, in general, it just wasn't not a, it wasn't a great day of football. I actually really liked it, but I was drinking fairly heavily, so that that may have factored into a lot of that, and it's on the subject of ugly football. We're going to talk about an ugly game that Ohio yeah. State played yesterday against Michigan State. Just uh, off the top of your head, where does that one rank in terms of like, wow, this was just nasty, Big Ten, ugly-ass football? Like for Ohio State this season or just in general? Just in general, Ohio State, like going back as far as you can remember. It was like an eight on the ugly scale. It felt a lot like I mentioned this in my my stock market report that it felt a lot like pretty much every Jim Trestle Big Ten game. And I I think that that's I mean, there's certainly a place for that. Ohio State won. That's good. That's objectively good that Ohio State won. And I'm not going to. You know, I'm not going to be too upset about Ohio State winning, but boy, it sure was ugly. And it was just, it was a very typical Big Ten game. It was a very typical early November, very cold, not a lot of offense Big Ten game. And it was just bad to watch. I mean, there was some weirdness in the third quarter that we'll certainly get to that was kind of funny to look at. And I think a lot of the game's entertainment value came from how stupid it was. But in general, it was just, it was bad football. It was ugly football. And we're going to walk a line here, I think, between, like you said, enjoying the win, because I think Ohio State did deserve to win. I picked them to lose, and they controlled pretty much the whole game. You know, there there wasn't really a time, even when it was 7-6, to six, where I felt like Michigan State had the pieces to win this game. It always kind of just felt like after the first quarter, even that Ohio State was going to be able to control it. Maybe after Michigan State missed that first field goal, I thought that might have been their best chance to score all day. And after that, it was just like, okay, they're, as long as they don't do anything stupid, which they tried to, uh, that Ohio State was going to win the game. But there's a line between that and I, I think what you said. A lot of the conversation after this game has been 
If not, hey, Ohio State is back to being contenders of they're back on the right path. And I think it's it's fine to be happy with the win. You, you should be. Ohio State is 9-1. and one. They look like they're going to set up for a take-all, winner-take-all game against Michigan here in a couple of weeks. I know we've talked a little bit about Maryland being strong. I, I think at this point, I don't know how strongly I feel about that now after what they did on Saturday. But there was still something about this, a lot of things about this game that just did not sit right with me. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to complain about a 20-point win over Michigan State, especially on the road. But at least if we're talking about Ohio State being contenders in terms of either the Big Ten and playing against Michigan to get to the Big Ten championship and being a playoff contender, I still just don't see it in the best I think the best piece of evidence I have to support that is Ohio State won this game because the punt team was the best unit on the field. Drew Christman won them the game. Yeah, Drew Christman was awesome. Terry McLaurin was awesome in um, in punt coverage, and so was Jeffrey Okuda. And word up to those guys who pretty much, as you said, um, were responsible for Ohio State winning this game. Um, Michigan State's average field position, according to um, Bill Connolly's S&P Plus, Five Factors Box Score, their average field position was inside their own 20 at the 19, and Ohio State's was at the 38. And it's hard to lose a game when when that's the situation. I mean, there were five straight drives where Michigan State had to start inside their own six-yard line. Um, the entire third quarter, they didn't start a drive outside of their own six-yard line. And that was really when Ohio State took over, was the you know second half when the depth started to kick in, when... The fact that a pretty good chunk of Michigan State's team is is injured started to kick in, and um, the punt coverage was excellent. And I think that the punt coverage kind of kind of skewed how people are looking at this game. And I think I agree with you that you know it, it's hard to it's hard to be too negative about a twenty point win on the road in the cold against Michigan State, who was. Um, for some reason a ranked team. I'm not really sure why Michigan State was ranked. I don't think they're any good. But it's a it's a good win. It's a win over Michigan State, and any win over Michigan State, I'll I'll take. But I mean, Ohio State didn't play well. <laughs> Ohio State, no, Ohio State played well enough. Ohio State played well enough to beat a bad Michigan State team, and that's fine. I mean, I'll I'll take it. But Ohio State's offense was bad for the entire game. I mean, it, it really wasn't until the the late fourth quarter when they could actually run. Um, the passing game was bad all day. I, I don't think Dwayne Haskins had a good day at all. And this no, is it was really bad. Yeah, this is the second straight week where Dwayne Haskins did not have a good day, and he, he had decent yards at the end of the game. I think he had 227 yards on 24 completions, and that, that looks a lot better than it actually was. But a lot of those yards, and we said this a couple weeks ago, I think it was the Purdue game when we said, that Dwayne Haskins, pass, Dwayne Haskins passing yards are kind of like empty calories right now, where a lot of those yards are coming on plays that don't lead to anything. A lot of those yards are coming on one or two big plays, and it just it doesn't feel like Ohio State's passing offense is very impactful right now. And the rushing yards, I think, for Mike Weber feel kind of similar, that a lot of them came late in the game when it was really just Ohio State trying to run out the clock and... I understand that that is 
a valuable thing to be able to do, to be able to run late in the game. But I don't think that it was really entirely on Ohio State that they could do that. I think it certainly helped that Michigan State's defense was backed up inside their own territory all day. And it just, I, I've seen... I've seen plenty of people say that Ohio State is, is back to contending now after this win and that Ohio State is back on track. And um, I certainly understand why they're doing that. I think that some people are um, kind of using that as a bit of a defense mechanism so as to not accept the the truth about what this team is. And um, then there's some people who are doing it so that they can continue to have access to the football program, which is, I think, kind of embarrassing. But... It is what it is. This is the same Ohio State team. They made some slight changes with the way that they did things, which was good to see. But in general, it was another ugly win for a team that just kind of wins ugly right now. Yeah, and I'll start with some of the things that I really liked. We talked about the punt team, Drew Chrisman. That was the MJ shrug game (laughs) of punting. If you guys want to see his full highlight reel, we made a punt reel and put it up on the Twitter account at LandGrant33 check it out and that directly led to nine Ohio State points with the intentional safety that Michigan State took which in a game where their defense really was stymieing Ohio State just giving up points like that was a very odd decision like that just didn't really compute and I I mean I get it but at the same time like if they gave Ohio State the ball on the 40 yard line I don't think the odds were great that Ohio State was going to score a touchdown, much less a field goal, and then also led to uh, the Draymond Jones touchdown, which was a failed, like, fake jet sweep motion action, and Michigan State just looked like they had never run that before and had no idea. So that punting directly led to uh, to nine points, and that's a part of the game. You can't can't discredit that. So Ohio State's third phase of the game, it's good to see – after special teams the last couple of seasons, I think has been hit or miss that they were able to completely dominate that. And that's what you need to win a game. And when the offense isn't working and I think the defense had their moments, they were able to step up and take care of the game. And like you said, Terry McLaurin, Jeffrey Okuda, I think Johnny Dixon was down on a couple of those as well. They uh, they did the little things to make plays, and that was something that was really good. It was also really good seeing Mike Weber, even if some of those yards were late he ran with a lot of power and I don't know at this point like I can't make any definitive statements about the running backs because one week Mike Weber doesn't do anything and then this week he's able to juke dudes out of their shoes get to the edge break a couple tap tackles stiff arm a guy and end up with over 100 yards and J.K. Dobbins has 28 yards on 14 carries so I just don't know at this point they're just I guess doing the right thing by riding the hot hand but overall, you know, that's really my, my my two main takeaways about what I thought was good. Draymond Jones as well, outside of the touchdown, had a big pass breakup on a third down later on in the game. I thought he was able to get some decent pressure on Michigan State. So a couple of areas I thought that they played well. Sean Wade with an interception was uh, was very nice in the secondary. Most of the secondary mm. outside of I th- I think I think one guy had a really bad game. Yeah. But outside of that, I thought the secondary played okay. But like you said, it was an ugly win, and there are certain good things to take away from it. And there are other things that I don't think were very good and are extremely worrying going forward. Yeah, I I will say, as much as we have called for J.K. Dobbins to be the full-time starter on, on this podcast, and I, I think I still believe that, 
Mike Weber did did a great job in this game. He was a huge part of Ohio State's offense. He stepped up when they needed him to, and all credit to him. That's, I mean, I'll I'll take the contributions on the ground anywhere that I can get them with this team. And um, I, I liked that Ohio State started running him outside a little bit more, and I, I liked that they had plays that were designed for him to go off the tackle, which is. You know, it's it's strange to say that Ohio State's strength might be running off of their tackles, who I don't think are all that good, but that's what worked. Oh, we're, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna get to yeah. the tackles, um, and I, I, that's that's what worked in this game. Michigan State's really strong in the middle of the field, not so much on the outside. Although Justin Lane is just fantastic; he's very very good. But they had success running outside, and they they did it, and they didn't do it a ton, which was kind of disappointing. And I I think that I'm not as confident in Ryan Day as I was at the beginning of the season. But they they got it they got it done late in the game offensively. They they certainly didn't get it done early in the game offensively and it was it was really ugly for a long time in this game. And I agree that it never really felt like Ohio State was in too much danger, even when it was seven six. It just didn't feel like Michigan State was gonna be able to score ever and they really didn't. And even that would, would lead you to think that Ohio State's defense played a good game, which I don't think they did. I think Ohio State's defense got real lucky with the punting and the fact that Michigan State's offense is hot trash and can't run the football. I mean, Michigan State's leading rusher is Rocky Lombardi with three carries and 49 <laughs> yards, and one of them came on a 47-yard run. And it's just, it's not a great gauge <laughs> for what this defense is. And no. we still saw the same things with having safeties play 10 yards off the ball and man coverage and but they they did enough to get the win. They did enough to hold Michigan State to six points, and I'll, I'll take it. I mean, this is not a national championship team, but we've known that since week five. So it, it really isn't. It's not a huge surprise that this is the way the game went. I'll celebrate the great punting and the, the turnovers, which you really can't rely on every week, and we, we've said that before, but I'll, I'll take it. I'm not, I'm not too upset with this win. Yeah, and we got a bunch of things to talk about for the offense, and I just want to throw in that despite the passing game not looking good at all, and there was only, I think, one deep shot to Terry McLaurin in the first half that they just missed out on, and I guess the Benjamin Victor throw as well that Haskins missed under pressure, is he did make some throws that were like right on the money leading dudes on some of those slants or like deep ends where I was just like, man why can they not get this passing game working? Because his arm strength is just absolutely ridiculous. So we'll see if they're able to work on that a little bit more, but another iffy day for the passing game. But let's talk about the line. What What's going on, man? <laughs> Isaiah Prince, I feel so bad for him because he got that horrible rap after the Penn State game, and it was nice to see him last year and early on in the season be able to rebound from that. But he just got worked in the pass game and the run game there. Munford had a couple plays where he just flat out got beat. Michael Jordan had the bad snap to Tate Martell, who we're going to talk about here in a second. Just overall, this is as much of the bad stuff as we've talked about this year. It's just super disappointing that their line is like this because year in and year out, they've been so good. And even when they haven't been dominant, you know, they've been able to run the ball. They've been able to get a push. They've been able to, at the very least, keep whoever's playing quarterback upright and not blitzed on every single time they drop back. And this year, it just doesn't seem like they're able to do much right because even in the yards that Mike Weber gained, 
that seemed like it was pretty much all him. There were a couple runs up the middle where they had a hole, but man, they, they just can't seem to do anything right right now. I mentioned this also in my my post-game stock market report, and I'll have a, an offensive film study on this probably when this episode is up that people can go read on LandGrantHolyLand.com. Got my land grants confused. Um, <laughs> um, but the the offensive line, I think, comes back to Greg Studrawa, a guy who we have kind of not talked to. He sucks. Yeah, he sucks real bad, and we, we haven't talked about him as much with the poor coaching this season has mostly been Greg Schiano and Billy Davis, obviously, who somehow is still employed. It's, it's astounding that Billy Davis still has a job. <laughs> but um, I think Greg Studrawa might actually be the worst of the bunch because he was brought to Ohio State, one, because he's friends with Urban Meyer. That's, that's the main reason he was brought to Ohio State is because he's friends with Urban Meyer and he needed a job. But two, and the thing that he was sold as is that he's an awesome recruiter. And to his credit, he has done a pretty good job recruiting. Ohio State has landed a couple five-star linemen, which they really weren't doing before he showed up. But the thing about recruiting five-star talent, the thing about recruiting great linemen and great talent anywhere is that you have to know how to use it. And this has been an issue for Ohio State as a whole this season in that they don't know what to do with five stars. They don't know what to do with four stars. They, they're they not using this talent correctly. And I think Greg Starawa might be the worst offender of the bunch because it's, it's awesome that he's going out and he's landing these top linemen, but they suck when they get here because he's not coaching them. He's not coaching them well. And they don't know how to run block. They don't know how to pass block. They don't know how to play Division One college football as an offensive lineman because they're being coached by this moron. He does not know how to coach an offensive line. He didn't know how to coach an offensive line at Maryland or LSU or any of his other stops where he got fired for incompetence. And it's just, he's wasting a very talented offensive line. This is a very talented offensive line. This is a line with guys who I think could and probably will play in the NFL. I think Michael Jordan is a a very very talented guard and moving him to center was a a terrible decision that ohio state made it's it's not fair to that's him. one of the worst yeah. that might be the worst decision they've made all year yeah which is pretty impressive seeing i mean I, and i i think that that's like takes the cake yeah. easily because this was a kid that started at guard as he was awesome freshman. yeah in the first week of the season and i just feel bad for him because he was put into a spot that I just don't think he, he's too tall and he just doesn't mesh. We saw the snaps have been an issue all year. And then you put Tate Martell back there and you get, I don't know how much that, you know, they've even worked on exchanges between those two in the shotgun under center, whatever. And we saw immediately basically that that went awry and they turned the ball over in the red zone and I just feel bad for him because I just don't think he fits there, and I, I think that it's made the line overall worse. Yeah, Michael Jordan belongs at guard. I don't think Malcolm Prigion is a starting caliber lineman, and they continue to start him. And I understand that when you lose Brandon Bowen for now two seasons because of the, the injury that he sustained last season and didn't heal from correctly, and you know there's not really a ton of options there. But Prigion is not an Ohio State caliber starter. Demetrius Knox never really developed. It, it seems like he's kind of 
where he was at the beginning of the season. Thayer Munford is not ready. He hasn't been ready all year. He's not. He he doesn't have the the field awareness to play left tackle at Ohio State yet. And I think he will if he gets some actual coaching. But he's not there yet. He's he was a late take in the recruiting class that he was in, which generally indicates that Ohio State was not entirely sold on him, which is correct. That's I mean that's why it took so long for them to recruit him. And if Ohio State wasn't sold on him until late in the process, there's probably a reason why. And it's because they weren't convinced that he was talented enough. He gets here and now he's playing this early on in his career. It's just, it's not good. It's not good to be forcing him onto the field this early because you can't find any other options. And, you know, it's, Ohio State has lost quite a bit of offensive line depth over the last couple seasons to transfers. It feels like every year two or three offensive linemen are leaving. And I saw yesterday, I mentioned watching the Cincinnati game, I saw Kyle Trout starting in that game, former Ohio State lineman, and he played awesome. He was an awesome guard for Cincinnati. And it's it makes you think why Ohio State doesn't have these guys, why Ohio State's line is struggling so bad while their former linemen are off playing really well elsewhere. And it's, you know, this is how it was in 2015, too, where Ohio State's offense couldn't get going pretty consistently because of A, play calling and B, really poor line play. And it's it's the same it's the same issue this season. It's, you know, their offense is really struggling because they don't have the time to do anything. They don't have the time to develop passing plays downfield. And I, I really do think that if Ohio State is going to to make any coaching moves this season, which I, I have no confidence in, I don't I don't trust Urban Meyer to make any competent coaching decisions right now with the the hires and fires. But if they're going to fire anybody, I think Greg Stadrawa needs to be first on that list because he's just he's just awful at his at his job. Yeah, the line plays too bad, and Meyer consistently says that the line is what drives the program, and they have just been. Not even underperforming, I think, is the right word. They they've been bad. Yeah, they're, relative they're just to, bad. To, to expectations and what's expected around here, they've been very bad, and it, it's a shame to see because there's a lot of older guys on this team who you would think have turned that corner and have experience that just don't look like like they know what they're doing out there, and you know their technique is off, and they're just getting beat on every single play, and it's a shame to see because they should be much better. So I, I think we're kind of on the same wavelength when it comes to the run game that I saw there was some talk about how the run game improved. And I understand that Michigan State is one of the best defenses in the country when it comes to defending the run. And even when you take out Dwayne Haskins, negative 11 yards rushing with sacks and just other times he ran the ball, they still had 42 carries for 111 yards, which is good for 26 per carry so you can give Michigan State credit for that but at the same time it's like hey this is Ohio State this is an offensive line driven program as they like to say and even against a very good defense that's that just isn't acceptable which I guess is a good transition and leads us to Tate Martell who saw some time on the field he only had one carry for five yards but I wouldn't say his time was significant but it was significant enough to I, I think to have the conversation of whether we thought there was some difference in there because I, I do think that tangibly it gives them a different look. But what did you how did you feel about the Tate Martell package and what do you think about it going forward? I saw I, I saw a lot of 
positivity about the Tate Martell package before, during, and after the game. I, I saw a lot of people clamoring for it, getting really excited to to see it and really hoping to see it. And I, I don't know. I hate it. <laughs> I, I hate it. I hate that um, Ohio State, a, a top five football program, can't figure out how to run without taking out their starting quarterback, without taking out their Heisman caliber quarterback. Dwayne Haskins is, and he hasn't really shown it the last two weeks, but Dwayne Haskins is an NFL caliber quarterback. He's going to be playing in the NFL. He's going to be starting in the NFL sooner rather than later. He's a fantastic talent, and they can't figure out how to use him inside of the 20-yard line. And that's not... That's not his fault by any means. That is not on Dwayne Haskins at all, I don't think. I, I think that Dwayne Haskins is doing the absolute best that he can with the play calling that he's getting in the red zone, and it's just not good. The play calling is not good. There's no creativity inside the red zone. There's no creativity with this running attack. And I, I was encouraged by the fourth quarter because there was a little bit of creativity in the run design and in the play design, but... It made me wonder where that was all game, where that was all season, why it took until the you know the 10th game of the year for Ohio State to figure out how to do this. And I don't think you should have to take out your starter and bring in a run specialist quarterback to run the football. There are plenty of teams in college football that don't have a running quarterback that know how to run. I mean, it's, it's not that difficult. It, it really isn't. And Urban Meyer just doesn't, seem to know how to do that he doesn't seem to know how to have a running attack if his quarterback can't run and this guy's been coaching for a really long time and if he still doesn't know how to do it at this point he's never gonna learn and it's it's a waste it's a waste and I can't imagine that Dwayne Haskins is happy about it I don't remember what exactly his quotes were after the game but I remember seeing that he said he was frustrated with it that you know he he understands that it might help the team but he's frustrated that he doesn't play in the red zone and it's just it's dumb it's going to take him out of his rhythm it's a band-aid solution to a problem that Ohio State needs to actually fix that they need to actually address and they're just not going to do it they're just going to put in Tate Martell and hope that that solves it and to an extent it might but that's not an actual solution to me and this is something I said on Twitter from the account is it's just kind of baffling and retro. Like, why did they even recruit Dwayne Haskins? Because it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like they have a plan for him. And that that's just where my biggest beef is. And you know, you got a guy in Matt Baldwin who is pretty much the same type of. He's not a runner, and yeah, it I'm just not doesn't sure how make they're ever going to use him. And you know what? I I like the idea in theory. I I think that Tate Martell is talented enough. And he's dynamic enough to where you should want to get him on the field, even if that means taking Dwayne Haskins out for a play or two. But the way they're using it, I think, is my biggest problem because it's it feels like they're using him because they have no other answers. And that's that's the issue for me is if they were doing it to say, hey, let's give the defense another look. You know, when when we bring in Tate Martell, you know, you're you're. And I, I saw that people were comparing it to, and Joel Klatt said this, like, hey, it's a little bit of a Chris Leak, Tim Tebow situation. And it's not because that Florida team didn't have any problems moving the ball. And Tim Tebow was so dynamic that they had to do that. And 
they were giving defenses another look. That Florida team did it because it took them up to the next level. I think this, kind of like what you said, is just a Band-Aid, and it's the coaches saying, hey, we have no other answers of how to get the ball into the end zone right now. And you know what? They, they should do that. If they don't have any other answers, then, yeah, roll with this. But that's the problem is that right now we're 10 weeks into the season, and they just didn't have any other answers. Like, they didn't think that this would be an issue going into the year. And that's my biggest beef with it because I, I do think that Tate Martell can be talented enough and dynamic enough that he should have a place, but not in the sense of like, hey, Tate, we have nothing else. Like, you got to go out there and make plays, bro. Yeah, Tate should be a feature of the offense, not the <laughs> the thing holding it together and keeping them from losing by 29 to Purdue. It, it really shouldn't come down to you have to be able to bring your backup quarterback in to score touchdowns in the red zone. That's, I mean, also, Tate Martell's not Tim Tebow. <laughs> Tim Tebow is is one of the best college football quarterbacks of all time. And I think Tate Martell will probably be really good for Ohio State next season. But Tim Tebow was like a fullback. They used him like a fullback. Tate Martell's five foot ten. <laughs> Tate Martell Tate Martell's my size. And I'm a blogger. And I'm not <laughs> I'm not being brought in to, to score touchdowns in the red zone anytime soon. And you know, Dwayne Dwayne Haskins, if you're looking for like a a bulldozing quarterback, Dwayne Haskins is the closest thing Ohio State has to that. Dwayne Haskins not small by any means. Dwayne Haskins is like two hundred and thirty five pounds, six foot four, six three, two thirty five. He's he's a good sized dude, and we saw him run a little bit yesterday, and he he ran pretty well. He got a first down. He put his shoulder down, and I don't think he likes to do that. But if Urban Meyer is feeling like he can't do anything else, which is, it's embarrassing that Urban Meyer can't figure out what to do with the running game because that's his entire job. His entire job is to solve problems with this football team and he's not doing it. But if they can't figure out how to use Dwayne Haskins on like a quarterback sneak, when we've seen them take snaps under center, like to take a knee, they do know how to do it. That's just it's dumb. It's dumb that they have to bring in a backup quarterback to run the football. It's, it's just it's dumb. It's a dumb that, football. That game. fourth and one was such trash. Yeah. That was such a trash decision, and I would have less of a problem with it. One, like you said, just sneak the ball forward with your six three, two hundred thirty pound quarterback. That would seem to be the most logical answer. But even then, I don't have a problem with it if it's something that they've prepared for all year. It even looks like the Martell package wasn't really something that they had practiced. Like this until this week, they were just like, "Oh shit!" Like we're not running the ball. Like they finally came to terms with like we need to do something to run the ball. Let's put Tate in, and you had the bad snap, and then you had what was it? The false start, illegal motion, something like that on the fourth and one, and they decided to punt the ball. So they weren't even putting Tate Martell in an advantageous position because it looked like. They were working on very few reps when it came to game time and using it. So it just seemed like very underprepared. And I, I do think that there are positives from it. And I, I thought that Tate Martell made some good reads and we'll definitely see it against Maryland going forward. I don't know how successful that type of shit's going to be against Michigan. I think that they'll eat it up, but we're definitely going to see it more against Maryland this week. And it remains to be seen what it does for the running offense. But I, I did think it gave him a little bit of a spark. I just wish that they 
would use it in a different avenue other than, oh shit, we have no answers, this is the last resort, Tate, please save us. Yeah, and I will say, I don't... I don't want to just just completely write it off as something that would never work because it did seem to work no, pretty well. No, I think well. it can yeah, work. It can work, but it's the same thing with like sending Paris Campbell in motion and only ever handing off to him, which they they actually stopped doing this week. And they they did have the pop pass that worked for a touchdown, but they they did start sending him in motion and handing it off up the middle and using him as a way to to get a numbers advantage, which is good. It's good that they're doing that. That's the way that you're supposed to use a player like him, and I'm glad that they figured it out. But it feels like they they need to figure that out with Tate Martell, that you can't just bring him in and run the read option because, you know, good defenses like Michigan's will figure that out pretty quickly. And, you know, in the red zone, maybe that won't matter a ton because they just need him to get, like, three yards every play. But it doesn't really feel fair to Tate to do to do that because, I mean, what if he gets hurt? What if Tate Martell goes out there and gets hurt and then you have Dwayne Haskins and true freshman Matthew Baldwin or Dwayne Haskins and the West Virginia grad, grad transfer who we know can't pass. Chugging yeah. Off high, baby. Yeah, who we know can't pass or run. Um, <laughs> and I, I just, I don't get it. I don't get why they why they have to... They do this thing where like they learn one new play and that's the only thing that they can do and they can't possibly have different versions of this play. They can't possibly have ways of using this play for misdirection, ways of using this play to take advantage of a defense overplaying it. And I don't know, maybe they will. Maybe against Maryland they'll come out and they'll actually have Tate throw in the red zone sometimes or they'll they'll have Paris Campbell go in motion with Tate in the backfield. They'll put it all together and they'll run a play out of that that opens up the defense and they have a wide open touchdown. I seriously doubt it. It it does not seem like Ohio State is doing anything to confuse the defense. They're just kind of hoping that whatever they throw out there will be enough to get four yards and then they can get a first down after three tries of it. And I just, it's not good to, it's not good to watch. They'll win games, but it's not to watch. And I know that winning games is the most important thing in college football, but that's not going to work against Michigan. That's not going to work against whoever they play in the postseason. If Ohio State somehow wins out, which I, I really don't expect, I really don't expect Ohio State to win out. But if they somehow do and they go to the conference championship and they play Northwestern, how do we know that'll work against Northwestern, who has a pretty good defense? You know, what if they go to the playoff and they have to play Alabama. They're going to get embarrassed doing that stuff against Alabama. And if people want Ohio State to be a top five program, which I think they are, I think Ohio State's pretty easily a top five program in college football. This isn't the kind of thing that top five programs do. Top five programs have creative, unique offenses that take the things that they do, that take the tendencies that they do, and they break them. They run different things out of the the looks that they give defenses, and they use that to create openings and Ohio State's not doing that Ohio State is for now the 10th straight game Ohio State is just kind of surviving off of talent and not really doing anything creative or interesting with their offense and they're just they're just kind of skating by and I guess that that's fine but it's just it's not good it's not a good way for a program to work well we saw this movie in 2015 when JT Barrett wasn't the starter and they were struggling in the red zone they brought him in I think it was the Penn State game 
and went like four for four. He threw a couple touchdowns, ran a couple in, and we all thought, okay, this is the fix we've been waiting for. And he ultimately takes the starting job. And I'm not saying that'll happen here, but that was thought to be, okay, we'll use we'll use JT in the red zone. And it was just a temporary fix. It was a Band-Aid until they lost to Michigan State, until you know they really realized, oh, shit, that was until the fix came. And it was just a Band-Aid. And I think that's, that's to me, where they missed the ball on this. This could have been something where Tate Martell had a package. It kept defenses on their toes. This is something I think they probably should have been doing, in hindsight, at the start of the year. If they really wanted to get him on the field and now it just kind of seems like it's too late and it's a band-aid and it's not something that's going to be a true fix but we'll see more of it against Maryland and maybe now that they'll have an extra week to practice it and hopefully add a few wrinkles to it it can go to the next level but I guess I'm just not very confident in that it will Um, we've talked a lot about the offense and I feel like there's not a lot to talk about with the defense Michigan State's quarterbacks were super, super terrible. Some of the throws they made were not Division One <laughs> level worthy throws. I thought they missed a couple guys. Michigan State's receiving core without Felton Davis is bad. Uh, their running backs outside of Connor Hayward, who only got four carries. Somehow Michigan State only ran the ball 18 times. It's really weird for a game like this. Ohio State's defense, I thought, like I said, Draymond Jones played really well. Robert Landers played well, especially early on. He was involved in some stuff. Uh, Chase Young had a couple of pressures. The linebackers, I don't know how much you want to talk about them. I saw that people said they played good. They played like shit. Yeah, they didn't yeah. look good at all. I'm I'm done seeing Pete Warner on the field, man. I, I'm, I've made peace with Tough Borland being the middle linebacker, but I'm out on... Pete Warner, man, he's just, he's not cutting it. I'm sick of seeing it. I, I don't think that he can, right now, because he's still so young, he just looks in way over his head. Uh, I'm just, I'm tired of seeing him out on the field. And then the secondary, like I said, Brendan White, another game where he was all over the field making plays. I, I think at this point he has entrenched himself. He has earned that right to be the starter at that safety position opposite Jordan Fuller, and maybe Jeff Okuda's best game, I think, or at least most complete game. He was pretty solid, and then Sean Wade with the pick made a couple other nice plays, so that's just kind of a a broad overview of the defense. Did anything stand out to you positively or negatively about those guys? Um, I think Brendan White played well, like you said. I think um, the secondary in general was, was pretty good. Certainly it wasn't too tough of a challenge for them because... Michigan State's quarterbacks are just just awful. I mean, there were there were some slant <laughs> throws in this game where the receiver was open and the throw just wasn't even close. And there's really I don't think you can give <laughs> any kind of credit to Ohio State's defense for that because Michigan State's offense is the worst in in the Power 5. I mean, it's it's dreadful. And, you know, at least Ohio State didn't get burnt by such a terrible offense, and that's good. You know, they, they did what you're supposed to do against a bad offense, which they really haven't been doing recently, so that was encouraging. Steps forward, yeah, for sure. But Kendall Sheffield had a terrible day. Kendall Sheffield stinks. <laughs> Woof. He, Woof, man. Yeah. He was on people's first round draft board he probably still is because they don't watch ohio state play draft guys love not watching ohio state play (laughs) 
um, he's he's rough, yeah. man. He is super. Yeah, rough. he got burnt a couple times, and um, we will have a conversation sometime soon about Tabor Johnson and uh, Alex Grinch. But right now, we have um, greater <laughs> greater coaching issues to worry about. But I think outside of him, the defensive backfield was good. Um, Brendan White definitely has earned his his spot as a a starter, and even though he didn't have as big of a day, only five tackles. He did have a pass breakup, and I think mostly that that's a result of you know Michigan State being backed up against their their own end zone so much and not really running the ball and not doing much of anything on offense. But he was he was good. He was still near the ball on just about every play. Um, I think the only good linebacker on this this starting defense right now is Malik Harrison. I think he played really well again. He had two pass breakups, including one that would have been a first down had he not broken it up at the line. And he's he's impressed me the last couple of weeks. I think that he needs to be the one that's still starting on this team. And like you said, tough Borland. I'm just kind of accepted that they're going to play him. And I don't think that he is 100%. He doesn't look like he did last year. He's not fast enough to play middle linebacker at Ohio State. And... I think that they rushed him back too quickly from his injury, and this is just what he is now, which is unfortunate. But they're not going to stop playing him at this point. Pete Warner needs to go. Pete Warner needs to not be playing on this defense anymore, and I don't know if he'll ever be good enough to play on Ohio State's defense because he's just not hes not good enough. And I don't know if it's, a, if it's an athleticism thing, if it's a coaching thing. It, it probably is a coaching thing. But he he gets burnt by tight ends. He gets burnt by everybody that he covers. He doesn't really do much. And I, I don't know. I'm I'm out on Pete Warner. I'm still out on Tough Borland. Dante Booker had a, a slight appearance. He looked decent. He had a tackle. The, the Can we de- please see Justin Hilliard? Yeah, <laughs> I would certainly like to. Did you see that play he made on special teams? It was either, I think it was on a kick return. And like Urban Meyer, it was really late in the game. And Meyer like waited for him on the side. They yeah. showed this whole sequence and like waited for him and tried to find him, couldn't find him, and then finally found him and dapped him up. And I know you and I have been going back and forth on Twitter about this, how the coaches talk about, well, you know, if you're not a starter and you want to play, you have to practice well, and then you have to make plays on special teams. Justin Hilliard's been making plays on special teams all year, yep. and he looks like he's finally healthy. He's improved so much. And their linebacker play has been so bad. Like, why can this guy not see the field? Why can't they at least put him in there? Because he looks like he could be a game changer for the defense. And he's making so many plays on special teams that, you know, I just want to see him in there. And I I don't think it's going to be this year. Maybe in the bowl game we'll see after they practice a bunch. But maybe it's not till 2019. I'm really upset about that one because he looks like he could be a difference maker on the defense yeah Hilliard is pretty obviously one of the best linebackers on this team it's another one of those like I'm sure that Urban Meyer will mention if anyone asks him about Justin Hilliard he'll just say well you know we got to find a way to get that guy on the field he's he's obviously love that guy yeah love that guy he's super talented we've got to find a way to get him on the field and it's just a matter of you know getting him the opportunity to play and Urban Meyer's the head coach. <laughs> He's the head coach at Ohio State, and he could very easily make that happen if he wanted to. He could just say that he wants Justin Hilliard to start, and it would happen. And it's obvious that Justin Hilliard is one of the best special teams players, which is the thing that Urban Meyer cares about quite a bit. 
you know, the the guys are going out and making plays on special teams before they're allowed to play defense. And I, I think that that's a really <laughs> that's a whole other story. But I think that that's a really dumb way to approach uh, personnel because special teams and defense are different things. But Justin Hilliard, by Urban Meyer's own his own requirements, is significantly better than Tuff Borland or Pete Warner were when they were on special teams. I mean, it's if you're just comparing the thing that Urban Meyer needs to see from his defenders, Justin Hilliard's better at it than Warner or Borland were, and we know that Justin Hilliard's better at defense than they were because of the one game where he did see significant playing time because of some injuries. And it, it's just, I think it's too late in the season to to really get too upset about this because we already know what Ohio State is, and I think that this is just what they're going to be. Um, so I, I really can't, I don't have the the energy left to to muster up too much anger about Ohio State making so many baffling personnel decisions. But Justin Hilliard should be starting on this team, and it's it's really not fair to him that he's not i don't think it's fair to pete warner or tough Boland that they're forced into this situation either because it's it, that can that can ruin their whole careers i think pete pete warner and tough Boland are talented i think that they have the potential to be really solid at some point but they're not there yet and justin hilliard pretty obviously is and it's just it's mismanaged all of this team is mismanaged you got anything else i feel like i don't want to sell drew chrisman's day short because he he did win the game for the yeah, team he, like, he, he literally won the game for Ohio State. Yeah. he should be big 10 offensive player of the week for what he did i don't want to not talk about that or sell that short because their special teams and hilliard won them the game, which was really, really, or Hilliard, uh, Chrisman won them the game, which was really awesome. And after that four-yard punt to start the game, I feel like everybody was like, "Uh uh-oh. And then he just unleashed some boomers, and he did it in a bunch of ways where they would just kind of flop down, bounce back a yard or two. There was some slow rollers to the one, which Terry McLaurin got down for, and then there was the one that went out of bounds inside the five, so he did it in a variety of ways. That was one of the greatest punting games I've ever seen. I still think the highest level of punting we've ever seen was that Sugar Bowl between Ohio State and Alabama when J.K. Scott and Cameron Johnston were just going at it, but that was that was up there, and I, I want to give Drew Chrisman his props because he was the man. He was the player of the game. Yeah, he was, he was awesome. He's very, very good, and um, yeah, word up to Drew Crispin for winning this game for Ohio State. I really don't think that they win without his his very good punting. And that's, I, I think, just about it. He, it really sums up the game for Ohio State and this season for Ohio State that they won a game because of their punter. And um, I don't know. I guess it's kind of funny that that, <laughs> that, that is the way that things are at, at this program. And well, I don't know. Good good on Drew Chrisman for, for getting the job done and for bouncing back after the, the rough start. Um, yeah, this is definitely a, a Drew Chrisman fan podcast. This is definitely a, a Terry McLaurin and, and um, to an extent, Jeffrey Okuda fan podcast. Um, so word up to those guys for, for sure. They were huge parts of this win, much more so than... Um, probably anybody else on the team <laughs> and uh take that as as you will i'm sure that plenty of people are are fine with that i'm not as much so i mean a win is a win but boy things are not great at ohio state <laughs> 
Win is a win. Ohio State moves to nine and one on the season with a twenty-six to six win over Michigan State. Like we said, Maryland this week early morning game. Thankfully, or at least early morning out here, noon game Eastern against Maryland on the road before going back home to play Michigan with likely a spot against Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game, awaiting the winner of that game. 2018 truly is the uh, the worst timeline. Do you have anything else before we get out of here? Ohio State beat Cincinnati in basketball in their first game of the season. We, we talked about a little bit of yeah. that on the preview pod. They were uh, they were good. They looked really good. They, the, they had to withstand a late comeback from Cincinnati, and they did it. Um, Caleb Wesson is a star. C.J. Jackson looks really good. Keyshawn Woods was impressive. Dwayne Washington, Luther Muhammad look both looked really good for uh, for freshmen. I'm really excited about the team. They're they're about to play in about an hour, and we'll we'll probably talk about what happens in that game on the the preview pod. But they're fun. People should watch them. Yeah, they're good. They play here at one. People will hear this after the game against Fort Wayne, and they also play Creighton at Creighton on Thursday on Fox Sports One. Check that out. And they also play next Sunday versus South Carolina State. So get in on that non-conference schedule. We kind of thought that would be a close game that they would lose, but they were up big in that one, held on against Cincinnati on the road. And I think that that will be, depending on how the rest of the season goes, that is the type of win that the committee and others making decisions will look back fondly upon because Cincinnati is routinely a very strong team. So to have that win right away in their back pocket is nice. But we'll talk more about the basketball team on our preview episode coming up on either Tuesday or Wednesday. So stay tuned to that. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. You can also find this episode and all of our other episodes on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash land grant. Holy land. Follow us on Twitter at Holy land pod. And you can follow along with Patrick and I's takes on Ohio state football and everything else in the world at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. And I am at dubs co, but until next time for Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. We'll catch you later on in the week. This is the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks.